Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. really good to be here this Shabbat morning. This time of the year is a festive time in so many different ways. It's a Hanukkah Christmas season, Hanukkah slash Christmas. Sometimes these two commemorations are right on top of each other. Sometimes they're a month apart, and, and sometimes they're close together. And, and this, but this very time of Hanukkah and Christmas... Some people I like to say Messiah miss. This very time, one of the things I really like about it, besides the festivities and the colorful activities that are involved with it, and isn't there some gift giving also involved with all this? But I like the fact that for many, Yeshua, Jesus, is coming to the forefront and they're thinking at this time. I know in our neighborhood there are a lot of uh, Christmas lights up. But I, and I, was, I drove through there, I was looking at all the neighborhood houses, and there was one house that had lights that said Jesus on it. Of all the houses, there was one. And, you know, I, I took that as a positive thing. At least that particular household, they were thinking about him. In their way, they were thinking about him. And Scripture, for its part, even if people aren't thinking about Yeshua, Scripture, for its part, is constantly testifying about Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. It's been said that he's, he's there directly or indirectly in every single chapter of the Bible. He's there directly or indirectly in every single or on every single page of the Bible. You might say, well, that's an exaggeration. He's not. Well, actually, he is. At the very least, he's the living word of God. And if you're thinking about the word of God, he's the living word of God. And uh, blessed be his name. Sometimes his, his name is mentioned literally when you read through the Besarot, the Gospels. How many, how many times do you read the name of Yeshua? Many times. And other times he's spoken of figuratively, where there are, are figures or metaphors that point to him, that point to him and who he is and what he's about. For example, King David's father's name was Jesse. In Hebrew, that's Yeshai. His father's name was Jesse, and Jesse was born over a thousand years before Yeshua was born. And yet, we read this amazing prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 10, that points to Yeshua. Even though Yeshua's name isn't directly mentioned in this prophecy, it's understood that this is referring to Yeshua, to Jesus the Messiah. And Isaiah chapter 11 verse 10 says, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse. 
There shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, this idea of the root of Jesse, when you look at the genealogy of Yeshua, there's two of them uh, within the, uh, the, the Gospels, you realize that Yeshua is connected back to King David, and he's, that means he's connected back to Jesse. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, this is the genealogy, the generations of Yeshua the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, the term the root, the root, such as the root of Jesse, the idea of the root is found often in Scripture. If you did a word study on that, like with the strongest concordance, you'll see the word root or roots or some derivation of it mentioned oftentimes in Scripture. It's an important term. It's still an important term for us today. (laughs) As I was thinking of all the things that connect to the idea of a root, I'm going to give you the good one first, root beer. (laughs) I'm going to give you the counterbalance to that one, root canal. And more commonly, we think of a plant and its roots. I mean, think about it. How many of you have, who has house plants at home? Anyone? Some of us do. Well, there, your roots are important at that, in the house plant there. And there are many other different ways to use the idea of a root, such as a root cause and, uh, you know, Jewish roots and many different things that can be said. But the idea of root, the least one I like is root canal. I do like root beer, but the rest of them. But Roots, Roots, there was a famous TV program, actually it was a series called Roots, that was a very important series, groundbreaking series in American television, trying to go back and look back into the roots of people, and we all have our roots, essentially we have roots, some of us in the same place and some in different places. But when we think about the first century, and the agrarian society that was there in the first century in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel, the farmers who were there, the ones who were raising crops, planting seed, watering the seed, harvesting the seed, you know, they were concerned about roots. They knew pretty well that their crops had to be well-rooted Because if they weren't well-rooted, they wouldn't produce much. And they were dependent upon the, the results of their farm skills, the results of what came forward from the seeds that they planted. And they wanted their plants to be well-rooted so much fruit could come from those plants. There was a saying, it went something like this, a first century saying, it's, it was, it's this, as the root sow the plant, then so goes the harvest. As the root, sow the plant, then so goes the harvest. The root, the plant, the harvest. And first century agrarians, I'll call them agrarians, farmers, first century agrarians, they, they recognized how important the, the root was to their, the ultimate success of what they were doing. And as I mentioned, the idea of roots continually occurs within Scripture, recurs. You remember in Luke chapter 3, verse 9, when Yochanan HaMatbil, John the Baptist, said this, 
part of his statement, very terse statement, very strong statement, he said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. A strong statement there about the axe being laid to the roots because when the axe is laid to the roots, that's the end of it. For most plants, that's the end of it. For most trees, that's it. If you've ever had to uh, remove a tree in your house or in your yard, it can be quite a task, especially what? If the roots are well-established and deep. I recall doing that back in our former home in another state, the state of Texas. And we had planted, I shouldn't say we, this is we right here. I had planted <laughs> our new house. I had planted a sycamore tree too close to the house. Come on, give sympathy. I want some sympathy. <laughs> and our sons at that time were a little bit too small or too young to do the hard labor. So guess where the hard labor fell? Right here. <laughs> Come on, I want some sympathy about that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and there I was, I knew after the tree, and you know, it's a native tree, and it, it got established quickly, more quickly than I expected. And I was watching this tree grow, and I got to get that tree out because it, it, it would destroy the, the foundation of the house. And I still remember painfully, painfully, going out there and trying to get that tree uprooted. And thank God, Baruch Hashem, there was success. I got, to, got the root out, got the tree out, but then that left another problem, a big hole right there by the side, side of the house. Roots are important. And biblically, spiritually, we want to make sure that our roots are solid and they're in deeply. They're important for plants, obviously. If you, some of you have house plants, you raised your hands prior. You have house plants, you know you got to take care of the roots of those plants. Yeah, the outward leaves, etc., but also the roots have to be fed, watered, taken care of. Yeshua often spoke about things that had to do with agriculture, agrarian type things. For example, this parable, Matatiao, Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares, T-A-R-E-S, sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No. No less while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, 
but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, this very well-known parable has so many angles to it. And you did notice the word uproot. It does talk about the root somewhat. But it says, uproot, lest you uproot the wheat also with the tares. The wheat and the tares, tares is synonymous with weeds. Many think it's a particular type of weed that's referred to because of the Greek word that's used. Uh, uh, the, the weed is called a darnel, D-A-R-N-E-L. If you look it up, it's interesting. Interesting weed because it's all over the place. Ethnobiologists call it the mimic weed because it just, it's there, it's, 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 a, it's mixed with wheat and it looks like wheat. It's like mimics wheat. Wheat grows, it grows. Wheat starts to produce, it begins to produce. But it's only at the end, at the end of this particular weed, because it really is a weed, it's only at the end when you're about to harvest the wheat that you can really tell the difference between these two. Some have called it, ethnobiologists have called this particular weed, the darnel weed, have called it wheat's evil twin. <laughs> It's, a, it's looked at as a menace. It's, it's all over the place. The U.S. has been very good about getting rid of this, but it's all over the place. For example, in Africa, a study done of the wheat harvest in Ethiopia found out that 10% of the wheat harvest was darnel and wasn't wheat mixed in with it. And an extreme amount of this particular weed the, the darnel weed, the tares of, of the parable, an extreme amount of that's poisonous to human beings. But they also know that a little bit of it will make you kind of loopy, <laughs> make you a little bit uh, confused, that type of thing. And there are even some societies that will use the darnel, the seeds of the darnel to, to put into beer to give it this extra kick there. But this parable is talking about, Yeshua's parable talks about that. What, what's the, there's such a big difference between the wheat and the tares, but you can't really deal with it. He says, the, and, and the parable says, don't do anything yet until the harvest. And then take those tares out. By that time, the root part is done. The roots have already sprouted and everything. The root part's done. And you can separate the tares from the wheat. And you know, it's at the final harvest that that becomes obvious, as the, as the agrarian said in the parable. So there'll be no mistaking at the final harvest the wheat from the tares, is what the farmer said. Now, they may look alike, but an interesting fact about the wheat and the tares is that their roots are quite different. So under the surface... Under the surface of the soil, their roots are different, even though the, plant, the plants that are popping up look similar, the wheat and the tares. They're different. And of course, they're very different because the root of the wheat bears wheat, and the root of the tares bears tares. Now, what's this have to do with you and me? Well, the parable could be applied in many different ways, but I want to ask you this question here this Shabbat morning. How is your life rooted today? How well rooted are you in spiritual things, in serving the Lord and all the good things of God? How well rooted are you? 
It's very important how well-rooted we are now because even as the parable points out, there is a time of harvest that's coming. And we want to make sure that what we're doing in life is really based upon good-rootedness or good-rooting. We want to make sure that at harvest time, when the Lord returns, that he truly finds a wheat plant, if I can call us a wheat plant, he truly finds us to be wheats and not tares. And the scripture, as I mentioned, so often talks about roots that are surprising, even in, in relationship to prayer. Here's one of Rob Shaul Paul's prayers in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 17 from the Tree of Life version. Here's what he says. He says, I pray that from his glorious riches, he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his ruach, his spirit, so that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he says this, I pray that you, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in what? In love. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to grasp with all the kiddoshim, all the saints, all the holy ones, all the people of God, what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Messiah which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Here in this prayer, he speaks about roots. In fact, very specifically, his prayer was that, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love. It seems to me that one of the best mediums for roots spiritually would be love. Love. We want to have roots that go deep. We must walk in the love of God. He also, in Colossians chapter 2, speaks about roots. He says this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Rob Shul writes to the, the believers in Colossae, and he says, Therefore, as you receive Messiah Yeshua as Lord, so continue to walk in him. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 8 is a critical verse in this context. He wants them to be rooted and built up in the Messiah and established in faith. And then in verse 8, he, he, he directs us another way, and he says, see that no one takes you captive. See that no one takes you captive takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man and the basic principles of the world rather than Messiah. Verse 9, for all the fullness of deity lives bodily in Messiah. And in him you have been filled to fullness. He is the head over every ruler and authority. Did you notice verse 8? Let me read it to you again. I emphasized it as I was reading it. See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men and the basic principles of the world rather than the Messiah. We think of captivity, especially now as we pray for those who are in captivity, the Israelis are in captivity in Gaza. How many of you have been praying for them? I know I have. And we think of captivity in that way, and we should. The physical captivity. But this seems to be talking about another type of captivity. 
He seems to be referencing this other type of captivity, something that comes inside of us and in our thinking, in our mind, and in our ways, a type of philosophy that, that invalidates and works against all Messiah is trying to do in our lives. How many of you have noticed that this world can pull you in another direction quite readily if you let the world pull you in that other direction? Some of you have actually participated in tugs of war. How many participate in a tug of war? And I'm not talking about a husband-wife quarrel here. <laughs> but the actual rope, I remember in Bible college, we, we had a field day in the, in the spring, and they put one team on one side and one team on the other. And, you know, I was thinking about this. I wasn't the biggest guy in the group. <laughs> so I was looking at both sides, Let's see, he looks like a bruiser over here. I think I might want to be on this team <laughs> there. But there can be that kind of a tug of war upon our, our minds and our thinking and our activities to try to pull us away from what really matters, which is following our Messiah in this evil and dark generation. That's what really matters. That's wheat. The other stuff is tares. Tares. And at times, it may, they may even look alike, but they're not alike. Their roots are different. <laughs> Their roots are different, and they'll, they'll ever be different. There will always be that difference. And there are those who, would, who can become captive with, with philosophies, grabbing hold of them. I've encountered that many times. Have to fight that all the time. The ways of the world. How many of you have heard of that term, the ways of the world? Of course. First Yochanan tells us to, to don't be conformed to this world. First, first Yochanan tells us to love not the world, nor the things in the world. It warns us about that. And the worldly views, worldly philosophies are like tears. They're like tears. They may seem okay on the outside, the surface. Sometimes it's even hard to distinguish them, but they're not. They're not good. What we want to be rooted in is the love of our Messiah and devotion to him and following him. So in the field that is our life or the field that is your life, we will at times encounter evil seeds. We will encounter different types of seeds that will try to take root. Did you notice in the parable who it was that sowed the seeds of the tares? It was the evil one. Did you notice when he did it? At night, in the darkness. So we need to do what? Walk in the light and follow him who is ever good. That's our Messiah. Because the Lord is good. He's a strong tower in the day of trouble. And he knows those who place their trust in him. We need to follow him. Now I want to mention three particular ideas about philosophies. Because when it tell, the, the prayer was that Rapshu will pray that they wouldn't be caught up in the philosophies of the world. Or he used the term, they wouldn't become captive to the philosophies that are out there in the world. And just basically three different way, philosophies. Number one, I simply call it non-biblical philosophies. These are philosophies that are not based upon the truths of the word of God. They are all over out there. All over. Sometimes they even look pretty, you know. But they're all over out there where the Word of God is not part of the equation, but the philosophy seems nice. 
But God's word is what? It's tested. It's proven. Psalm 18 verse 30 says, As for God, (laughs) his way is perfect. And then it says this, The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. I hope that applies to you today, that you are a person who has placed your trust in the Lord today. And you're being rooted in him, not the philosophies of the world, not the ways of the world. You're being rooted in him. And then there's always this verse, Matthew 24, verse 35. Many of you had this memorized. Where Yeshua is speaking, and he's speaking in the last day context, Matthew chapter 24, and he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Will Yeshua's words pass away? By no means. (laughs) Even if they say out there in this world that his word doesn't count, they're wrong because his words will not pass away. I get the sneaky suspicion that when this is all said and done, that we're going to see that the word of God is true because it is. Truth endures forever. And the second thing that happens, besides non-biblical philosophies, there's this other thing that's very common. I just simply call it the extra-biblical philosophies. <laughs> These are philosophies that, they're, they're views that are held that go, they go beyond, they go beyond what the Bible really teaches. Some have called it Scripture Plus. Seems like Scripture's enough. How many think Scripture's enough here? interpreted by the power of the Spirit. But it's Scripture plus, and it's a syncretic, it's a type of syncretism, this mixture, this mixture of Scripture with other things mixed into it. I don't know about you. Some of you have been studying the Scripture much longer than I have, but I know this, that I've found over the years that I've been studying Scripture, Dianu, the Scripture's enough. (laughs) Studying the Scripture's enough. It's a challenge. It's something to keep delving into. And the very scriptures I thought I knew and understood, I find out that there are levels and and depths to them way beyond what I understood. How good is the Lord and how deeply rooted is his word and may it be deeply rooted in our lives. But extra biblical philosophies take the Bible and go beyond it. You can think of some of the religious sects that do that. They take parts of the Bible and they go beyond and they add things into it. It's a bit scary to do that. Have you ever read the end of Revelation? (laughs) Check it out. See what happens to those that add to his word or subtract from his word. You don't want that. We don't want that. I don't want that on anyone, honestly. So there are many strange teachings out there they have, they have just a, can I say it this way, a, a nip of the Bible and a heap of add-ons. A nip of the Bible and a heap of add-ons. We don't want that. We want the Word of God deeply rooted in our life. And a third type of philosophy is simply called, this the most direct, the contra-biblical philosophy. That's a philosophy that's out and out against what the Bible says. It's one that contradicts, contra. It contradicts what the Bible says. We want to stay far away from those things. We want to remain true to to what Scripture says. 
Uh, some of these ideas, some of these philosophies include the, these. For example, all roads lead to the same place. Has anyone ever heard that besides me? <laughs> I don't know how many times I've heard that. They, they look at me like, okay, that's fine, but all roads lead to the same place. Or this one, all religions serve the same God. <laughs> wow. <laughs> how did you figure that falsity out? <laughs> that's not true at all. Not all religions serve the same God. And then this one, in the end, all will experience the same fate. You know, God is good and he would never punish anyone. God is good and, and you know, he's just going to maybe smack them on the wrist and say, you did bad, but, you know, come on into kingdom anyway. That's a farce. Because just as much as it says God is love, it says God is the judge. And there'll be tribulation upon all who do what's wrong in his sight. How glad we should be. If you're a believer here today listening to these words, how glad you are. How glad you should be that you have a Messiah who loved you so much he laid down his life for you. He shed his blood for you so that your sins can be forgiven and you may experience eternal life. And that comes only through faith in Yeshua the Messiah who's the way, the truth, and the life. I think we are right now partially in our society, and I've thought this for a while, and, and maybe you would agree with this, but we are right now partially experiencing something that the prophet Amos, Amos prophesied. It's written in Amos chapter 8, beginning with verse 11. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And then verse 12 is interesting, Amos chapter 8. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east, they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord. And then this is, this is so tragic, this next statement. They run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord from north to east. And then it says this, but shall not find it. But shall not find it. Why did they not find the word of God? They're wandering all over the place, north to east and going all over sea to sea. Why did they not find the word of God? I mean, the prophet never really tells us why. But just the terminology that's used there, the verbiage that's used, talking about them wandering and going to and fro and this and that, says that they were caught up in doing all kinds of stuff, pursuing all kinds of things, going from the north to the south, the east to the west, to and fro, sea to sea. And while they're doing that, they were continually neglecting the word of God that was right before them. As almost prophesied this in ancient Israel, there he was in the land where all the prophets came from. There he was near the very places that Yeshua walked on, where Yeshua taught. There he was, where the word of God went forth. For the word of the Lord shall go forth from Zion. And then Isaiah declared in Isaiah chapter 55, beginning with verse 1, 
He says, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2 of Isaiah 55. Why do you spend money for what does not satisfy? Listen careful to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. And he continues in verse 6 of the same chapter with this commandment. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And then verse 7 is critical. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, what? His thoughts. Get rid of those philosophies, those wrong thinkings. Get rid of them. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And jettison those things out of your minds. The righteous man is thought, let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, I love this next phrase, for he will not just pardon, but he will abundantly pardon. Have any of you ever experienced an abundance of forgiveness from the Lord for your sins? <laughs> if you're a believer, you've experienced that. <laughs> he said, though your sins may be a scar, I will make them as white as snow. You know, we see the truth of the word of God embodied in Yeshua the Messiah. The living word, he's often called. It's revealed in and through him. And in fact, found among the dozens, the dozens of descriptives of Yeshua, just in the book of Revelation. The dozens of descriptions of Yeshua that are found in the book of Revelation is this simple yet profound one. In Revelation 19, verse 13, it says, Yeshua is what? The Word of God. He's the Word of God. Just to remind you of some of the other descriptives of Yeshua, just from the book of Revelation, and I didn't even record them all. Yeshua is called in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5, he's called the faithful witness. Boy, does that change if he's called the unfaithful witness. No, he's the faithful witness, the one you can count on. In Revelation 1, verse 8, he's Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Aleph and the Tab. Revelation 5, 5, he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. How that changes is if he's the Pussycat of the tribe of Judah. No, he's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Chapter 5, verse 12 of Revelation, he's the Lamb that was slain. Chapter 13, verse 8 of Revelation. He's the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth. Chapter 21, verse 9 of Revelation calls him the great bridegroom. And if he's the great bridegroom, then where's his bride? I think I'm looking at his bride here today. Are you set apart for the Lord in this evil world? As a, as a bride without blemish, spot, wrinkle, sinfulness. In Revelation 17, verse 14, he's called the Lord of Lords. And that same verse calls him the Melecham Lachim, the King of Kings. Revelation 19, verse 11, calls the faithful and true one. Has he been faithful and true to you? 
He's the faithful and the true one. Revelation 22, verse 16 said, he's the bright and morning star. And then Revelation 22, verse 16 also says, back to our main topic as we conclude, he's the root and offspring of David. The root and the offspring of David. And there were times that are recorded in the Gospels when Yeshua was walking in places like Jericho or the Galilee where people would yell out to him, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David. They knew and understood in the first century that he was a descendant of King David. He's the root. He's, the, in a sense, the offspring of David. If you take Yeshua's lineage back, you encounter David. And you take Yeshua's lineage back past David, you encounter who? Avraham. That's our Messiah. He's the root and the offspring of David. Now, I gave you just now some of the descriptive terms for Yeshua that are found in the book of Revelation. Here's a question for you, though. How would you describe Yeshua in your life? What is he in your life? Are you close to him? Are you calling upon him while he's near, as Isaiah 55 said? Do you see him as the one, the one, who loves you and gave his life for you for the redemption of your sin so that you can walk in newness of life and walk in his plan and not your own thing? To follow his word and not the vain philosophies that are in this world. And do you realize that how you respond to Yeshua now will affect, affect your eternity then? How we respond to Yeshua now affects our eternity to come. Do you keep him far away from you? Or do you draw near to him? These are important questions. And my prayer is that we will all see. We will all see him for the one that he is. I don't know a simpler term than this. He is your savior. He is your Messiah. He is the one who will soon return. His feet shall set upon the Mount of Olives. And he shall set up his kingdom. Do I understand all that? No. But I know that he said it, and it's going to happen because heaven and earth may pass away, but his word will not pass away. Friends, he has a good plan for you today. Much better than where a philosophy, an extra-biblical philosophy will lead you, a contra-biblical philosophy will lead you. Much better. He has a good plan for you. It's a better plan than you can even come up with for yourself. So what does it take? humbling ourselves before the Lord, giving ourselves to him, yielding ourselves to him, and not just in theory, but in practice. Not just in words, but in deeds. Humbling ourselves before him so that we can know that joy unspeakable, full of glory, as the Shaliach, as the apostle said. And we can know, we can know that our God lives, that our Messiah changes hearts. And since we were talking about Revelation, I was mentioning Revelation, I want to lead you with one final word from Revelation before we pray. Revelation chapter 22. 
beginning with verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. Will you say that with me? Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Friends here today, it's with Yeshua that we all have to do. He's the one. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you truly are the Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, your love, your care. Lord, I lift up every individual here, everyone hearing these words, Lord, that you will pour out a blessing. Lord, that you would reveal and shine your light upon any dark philosophies or things of this world that we're clinging to. And we think we're holding on to them, but they actually have us captive. Lord, set free, please. Grant liberty, please, Lord, so that we might walk in the liberty of your spirit. Lord, we pray today especially for the hostages. We lift up each individual hostage, their families. We ask, Lord, that you will give the government of Israel wisdom and a breakthrough that they might be delivered from these things and that your light would shine on them. Thank you also, Lord, that your word is true. It says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Ask these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.